back to this idea of what it means to be a devoted Kriya Yogi. Well, I wondered about that because I have my own thoughts on it, and I know Mr. Davis has written about it extensively. Um, and I just happened to open up the science of self-realization, and in the introduction there is a few paragraphs that speak to the idea of what does it mean to be a dedicated Kriya Yogi? Really, what does it mean to be a dedicated practitioner of yoga? So Roy writes that a practitioner of yoga should know the ultimate purpose of practice to be complete transcendence of ordinary states of consciousness and the superficial values associated with them. The thinking and endeavors of one who aspires to be self-realized must be both rational and intentional. Practice that is adapted to one's psychological temperament, capacity to learn, and ability to apply what is learned makes the body, mind, and awareness receptive to transcendent realizations. So when we discuss theoretically what is happening when someone practices Kriya Yoga, we need to remember that what is happening is that the mind, the body, and the awareness is becoming receptive to transcendent realizations. So if we are able to make our body as healthy as it can be for us, I want to specify that because we all have different levels of health, our body is as healthy as it can be for us, our mind is as clear and functional as it can be for us, and our awareness being as receptive as it can be, this allows us to have capacity for transcendent realizations. And When we prepare our awareness to be receptive, that can be, as we discussed yesterday, if we're trying to flow our attention to hear the Om vibration, to see the inner light in the spiritual eye, one of the ways that we can prepare ourselves, our awareness to be receptive, is to imagine what that would be like. The imagination of it, the curiosity of it. That helps to prepare our awareness. Reading spiritual texts where it gives us ideas about what might it be like to function, thrive, be awake in a state of oneness, we might not understand that. Just like, again, the four or five year old version of ourselves doesn't really know what the adult version of us is going to know, but we can we can trust that the growth process is going to occur and that helps to prepare our awareness as well. Mr. Davis goes on to say, an intellectual grasp of philosophical concepts should be acquired. A practitioner of yoga must be a dedicated disciple, and that term simply means learner, one who learns, if the capacity to learn and to practice what is learned is absent, involvement with these processes will be of little value. So, essentially the answer to this question, what does it mean to be a devoted Kriya Yogi? It is having developing the capacity to learn, practicing what is learned, and knowing that when you practice something, oftentimes you're not very good at it in the beginning. So it's about getting it and practicing it until you get it. Um, when you do this, then you are considered to be uh, a devoted Kriya Yogi. Mr. Davis then follows up with a little bit more. That a truth seeker should know, this is what we're aiming to learn here, that one 
that one supreme consciousness exists. That one supreme consciousness exists. Number two, the truth seeker should know the processes that produced and maintain the cosmos. Hey, <laughs> that's something, isn't it? Why and how souls became involved with nature. How psychological transformation can be accomplished. How the brain and nerve system can be refined. And how spiritual growth that allows self and God realization to be actualized can be quickened. So this information allows a person to be a dedicated Kriya Yoga practitioner, meditator, any kind of yoga practitioner, with the ideal of uh, waking up beyond this limited small sense of self. And I, I added one which is somewhat implied in all of this, and that is um, mastery of one's states of consciousness. Now, that can be anything from... You know, I'm sitting here in meditation, and I want to see that inner light, and I can. Just like if I want to listen to a particular song on, the, on my MP3 player, I can just go over and turn, uh, push the button and listen to that particular song. That is uh, a more advanced idea of that. But mastering our states of consciousness also requires mastery of our moods. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot of fun to a lot of people. I'm going to start there and, and, and work back through these um, principles. Maybe you have noticed it. Maybe you've noticed it in yourself. But some people like feeling the way they feel, whether it's good or bad. Um, some people tend to, um, I don't know if any of you are, are Dr. Phil fans, maybe, maybe not, maybe you don't even know who he is, but he's the fellow that has the talk show that I think he started with Oprah, and he's, that, he's bald on top, got the mustache, and just talks real direct to people with that kind of, maybe he's from Texas, like a Texas-like accent. And I didn't think too much of him uh, for a long time, and then I happened to listen to a podcast where he was being interviewed, and when he started explaining sort of the methodology of how he approaches people and how he works with them, it made a lot of sense. And one thing in particular that stuck out was when he said, if you know what a person's motivation is, then you can affect change. He says, if someone is doing a certain thing or has a certain behavior, if you can get behind the why they are doing it, then you have a better chance of making changes. So even within yourself, if you have a why of you know, why you do certain things, oftentimes that's hard to admit personally, but that's part of the Kriya Yoga path. Maybe you know people who um, they have difficulty maintaining um, an optimistic attitude. Well, you can think I'm just talking about that like uh, from not from experience, but if you've listened to any of my other talks, you know that I've had issues with depression, and I've had issues with um, being pessimistic, and certain circumstances I've gone through, you would think I'd be extremely pessimistic. Uh, but what I learned through this process is that I, at least I can, I think you can too, can actually choose to be a certain way. And I remember when Roy would talk about this, the example he would always give, he'd say, you know, Think about a time when maybe you were with a family member 
and they were either upset or there was an argument going on and then the phone rings and then they pick up the phone and immediately oh hey how are you doing they can immediately act like everything's just fine mm -hmm. so if you can act like everything is just fine you can in in time learn to um, just know that things are just fine now I'm, I'm not in any way saying that if you have something to grieve over you shouldn't grieve I'm not in any way saying that if something frustrates you and you're angry it's fine to let that pass through the trouble that occurs is when we as individuals identify with how we're feeling and cling to it because that's who we are you know I'm just an angry person I'm just an anxious person I just get depressed you know during these particular time periods many times if you really listen to how people talk you will notice that there is a sense of identification with that you know your dog gets run over by a car I'm not going to say hey master your states of consciousness and get over it I mean I love my pets I, I cried for six months after my first cat died so it, it's it's not it's not that we're not denying the experience of of these emotions moving through us what we're doing is we're recognizing that as as units of pure consciousness which ultimately transcend this mind-body circumstance you do have the ability to master your states of consciousness and mastering your states of consciousness in the way we just described that very simple way of doing it that is the first step in actually mastering your internal states of consciousness such that when you sit down to meditate you go right into it do you see how this can fit together so to, to hear someone say you should master your states of consciousness that doesn't mean they're saying um, don't appreciate the human experience you have it, it means that you are able to control yourself when it counts that's really what it comes down to you're able to control yourself when it counts all right um, and that allows you to even be able to immediately access a state of stillness such that when you come here into this space and you want to listen to the own vibration everything else goes out the window all you're doing is listening to the own vibration it all ties together there so a devoted Kriya Yogi is either knows that that's possible and is working towards it or is actively doing it now knowing how psychological transformation can be accomplished how the brain and nervous system can be refined <clears throat> that's a little more tricky because we live in a, a uh, sort of a culture where like I said you, you can hop on YouTube or you can hop on the internet and find everyone's ideas about how to be psychologically stable um, but psychological transformation is is developed primarily from a yogic perspective by cultivating the yamas and the niyamas okay let me see if I have this marked appropriately here so I can read them directly from the Yoga Sutras here we are okay so the yamas and niyamas when you read when you study the Yoga Sutras there are eight limbs of yoga the first limb is yama and niyama and yama and niyama are the behaviors that you want to embody and cultivate and they're also the things that you want to avoid doing 
Now, many people um, interpret this as a moral code. Like, you should do it, because if you don't, it's a sin of some sort. But that's not really the issue. It is that by, by trying to manifest these, you are creating the proper foundation for you to be psychologically transformed such that you are ready for higher realizations. I'm just going to list these. Harmlessness, truthfulness, non-stealing, conscious control and right use of vital forces, and non-attachment. These are the five restraints to cultivate. And it says their application is not limited by time or cultural condition. So this is not something you just do when it's appropriate. This is something that is meant to be applicable at all times. So harmlessness, truthfulness, non-stealing, conscious control and right use of vital forces and non-attachment are the five restraints to cultivate and actualize. Many people make the mistake of, and Mr. Davis talked about this, that they would write to him and say, can you teach me Kriya Yoga? And they had read Autobiography of a Yogi, and they read that chapter on the science of, the science of Kriya Yoga, where it's described this uh, pranayama, this meditation technique that we do that works on the nervous system based on that example over there. They think that's all it is. But when you practice harmlessness, that helps your meditation because you don't want to hurt yourself either. So you want to be gentle with yourself through the process. You want to be truthful. When you're practicing meditation, if all you're doing is sitting there, and um, if you'd read uh, uh, Melissa's book um, that she wrote on her way out, uh, she, she even said that when she was first learning meditation, she was taking a class uh, at the university, and they were sitting there for 40 minutes. And all she was doing for most of that time was singing songs in her head, because that's the only way she knew, since she had never really done this before, how to sit still. So you're truthful with yourself about, what am I doing in meditation? It may be in the beginning, you're just singing a song to keep yourself there. Or it may be that you've been meditating a while and you recognize, oh, I'm sleepy, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of losing a little bit here. You're honest with yourself in the process. Non-stealing. That simply comes down to this idea that you're beginning to acknowledge and recognize that you are not a, a limited individual that needs to be out for oneself in this world. I completely understand why people might think that way. Because if you look around at most people in the world, that's how everyone else is thinking. But what did Roy say? He said, um, the ultimate purpose and practice is complete transcendence of ordinary states of consciousness and the superficial values associated with them. So just because everyone else you know, wants to take and take and build up themselves, that's not what you're up to. <laughs> that's not what you're up to. Conscious control and right use of vital forces. This is a word, uh, brahmacharya, and many people interpret it to mean celibacy or um, not having sex, but it's, it's using your resources appropriately. Are you, are you living in such a way that you're not wasting your money? It doesn't mean you don't have money. It just means you don't waste it. Um, are you not wasting your time? You know, uh, 
you might not have a next winner, really. You don't know. So you have to make sure that you're doing everything you can now, not putting it off to the future. So the whole experience is about being present right now and doing what you need to be doing right now based on, again, as we discussed yesterday, how do you want to be living your eternal life? So brahmacharya can be uh, interpreted in this way. And the non-attachment, well, we've talked a lot about that. Um, the practices to maintain purity, contentment, self-discipline, self-inquiry, and surrender to God. And God, you can use that word, or you can simply know that there is a wholeness of life, something greater than you. Surrender to that, that intelligence which is beyond your mind-body and personal circumstance. By practicing these things, not only are you being a devoted Kriya Yogi, but you're doing what it takes to understand the next seven limbs of the process. It's like a pyramid or any kind of structure. You have to have the foundation <clears throat> and if you don't have the foundation, then to think that you're going to really be able to appreciate a samadhi oneness experience, um, it's a little off the mark. So we have to understand that these are the things which contribute to psychological transformation. Now, how the brain and nervous system can be refined. Diet, a good diet, regular exercise. We know that that helps all those little nerves in there to process consciousness better. <clears throat> we don't eat a good diet because, you know, it's a fad and everyone says that you should be doing it. We do it as Kriya Yogis <clears throat> because the less hard work our body has to do to clear out, you know, preservatives or other things that get in the way with healthy brain function, the more that energy of the brain and the nervous system can be directed to perceiving clearer realities. The same thing is true with exercise. We know that when people exercise, they tend to be happier. They tend, their hormones are more supportive of a, a better outlook on life. We also know that people who exercise tend to not develop things like dementia or uh, other brain-related diseases because the circulation is functioning well. So in that regard, that is one very simple thing that we can do such that our nervous system is a finely tuned machine to process consciousness. You ask, why can't I hear the ohm vibration? Why can't I see through that muddy cloudiness uh, in my, my spiritual eye when I'm trying to perceive that inner light? There's something going on that's, that's it's just like water that's stirred up and you got all the dirt in the water. You gotta do things such that there is as, as few obstacles to clarity as possible for the body because the body for you right now is your vehicle to perceive consciousness. When you're dead, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna be like, oh, there it is. You know why? Because you're not gonna be working through this body anymore. So right now you are. That's why we have to do what we need to do to clarify our nervous system and our body to be strong. But then circulating life force through the spine, doing meditative procedures, and we'll get to that in the second portion of this little talk, that also helps to um, develop the nervous system. Just simply holding your awareness right here, if that's all you do, just feel the frontal regions of the brain. If you do that consistently, 
it develops the parts of the brain it develops the parts of the brain which allow you to be optimistic to be intentional to be forward-looking to be focused so the yogi who is focused on what he's doing why is the yogi able to do that because they've developed the part of their body and their brain which is the the attention deficit disorder canceller right you may have heard me talk one other time about uh, it was it was it was a show that I heard on NPR and they were doing brain scans of people um, uh, inmates who were in jail and many of them uh, the frontal regions of their brain were not developed in the sense of it didn't really register as fully as it could have on these brain scans it doesn't mean their brain is not functioning right it means that they did not they have not tapped into activated the part of the brain which deals with what impulse control why do a lot of people go to jail well, there are many reasons but <laughs> many times it can be because a lack of impulse control that thing that maybe you shouldn't have done and all of us have that we all have these thoughts where we think I'm gonna do this but because for some odd reason we have impulse control we don't do activities that get us put in jail I know it's not that simple so I'm not trying to act like that's the case but by teaching someone to meditate in that kind of situation by developing the frontal regions of their brain and I've heard people tell me this all the time that the things that they would do such as um, an activity or a reaction to a particular family member or anything like that over the years um, they stopped doing it why because now they have a choice now when the thought arises they can simply activate their frontal regions of the brain so I'm not doing that in the same way that now my frontal regions of the brain I'm going to assume are fairly active which is why when it comes to doing all the things that I would do in high school and college which were not so good for me that I didn't even think of I just did it when those options are presented to me while on some level they sound interesting I could maybe do that again but I remember <laughs> why it's important to stay clear and I don't have an inner battle going on saying I really want to do that but no I'm going to force myself not to the impulse control is there such that I can say I'm just not doing that so that is why meditating with your awareness up here it's not simply for spiritual awakening that's part of it but it's such that you're able to live in this world with intention with control and that also allows you to have control over your moods right and that doesn't mean that things don't happen in your life that you have to deal with things still happen it's just that now you have a capacity to interact with it in uh, we can use the word wholesome or a more appropriate manner you know um, so this is important to realize that what we're doing with our meditation techniques is also developing the nervous system as well um, knowing that one supreme consciousness exists knowing the processes that produce and maintain the cosmos why and how souls become involved with nature these are all things that you are then able to do able to understand because you have practiced your meditation and now you can practice what's called contemplation contemplative practices you know I talk about this a lot in the book um, Kriya Yoga Vichara where once you once you get once you've got your meditation down and you're calm and you're clear and you know what to do and you get there and you're 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 able to be fully present well now what sure it is perfectly fine
to simply abide in that clarity for as long as you like. That, that is highly transformational. It is very powerful. But most of us have some kind of questions, right? Like, why am I here? What is God? You know, what is the point of all of this? Why is life this way? Um, how did we get here? These kinds of things we can actually have answered for us. You can ask me, and I can tell you what I think, but that's not going to do it. You have to learn to ask it for yourself such that the, the realization, the experience appears in your mind. Um, such that you can have a, a, a contemplative uh, understanding of, well, what really is God? What really is the divine consciousness? And you really want to know. You're not just asking uh, just to hear yourself talk. You really want to know this. So when the mind and body is calm, you can hold that in your awareness. And as you hold it in your awareness, you wait and you rest. And what you'll find is the longer you do that, eventually the response, it just, it's almost as if someone took a movie and stuck it in your head. It's not through words, although sometimes it could be, but it's just an understanding, a knowing of what, Whatever it is you're contemplating, what is that all about? And then you know. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to think about it anymore. It's just part of your, your inner awakening process. So these kinds of questions, no one can talk you into an understanding of this. Uh, I remember uh, my friend Michael, who is uh, a minister at the Center for Spiritual Awareness um, Center in Asheville with me, uh, he would always laugh because he would hear people talking all the time as though they could explain to someone what God is or what supreme consciousness is or what clarity is. And he would say, look, you can't talk someone into that understanding. You just can't. But what you can do is you can teach them to quiet down, to turn within, and contemplate whatever it is they want to know until realization dawns. And when that realization dawns, it's as if you always knew it. And it just seems almost silly. Because, oh, well, all right, that makes sense. And then you move on to maybe your next spiritual question. And eventually what happens is you get all of your spiritual questions answered. Then it's easy for you to simply sit and abide as a clear, calm presence. And then you know you are liberated and then you know when it's time for you to depart from this world, that awareness is going to be there as well. And then whatever happens in the realms beyond this, you're prepared for. So to be a dedicated or a devoted Kriya Yogi is simply recognizing that everything you do is about uh, cultivating clarity, um, activating the yamas and niyamas, and then learning to abide peacefully and in a content space, knowing what you are. And the, the, the easiest way I can, I can give you just a little bit of an insight or understanding of what that is like, you have to try to remember a time in your life when it seemed like everything was perfect, meaning... You didn't need to be anywhere else. You didn't need anything. You didn't want anything. It just felt like, yeah, this is right. That kind of experience is what you have 
when you are abiding in the self, which is why, you know, earlier this morning, I even forget how we were going through the meditation, but towards the end, I mentioned that um, when you have a, a realization of this oneness and this clarity, you might laugh at yourself about how silly it was that you felt so bound and obligated to all these things within the world. And I even said that you might even cry then because of how you'd essentially been torturing yourself for all of your life. And um, when I've had experiences of this kind of clarity, that is what it felt like for me. It was, oh my God, how dumb have I been taking all of this so seriously, torturing myself about stuff that ultimately really didn't matter. And again, that didn't mean that I stopped paying my bills. It didn't mean that I didn't, you know, uh, that it didn't mean that I stopped bringing flowers to the woman I loved. Um, it didn't mean that I stopped mowing the grass. It didn't mean that I stopped answering the same question over and over and over again for people who, who were asking me about meditation things. It, it was simply recognizing, as Roy would tell me, um, that we're here because we have a role to play, but that is not what we really are. That role that we're playing is simply our duty while we're involved with this. And that role may be uh, being a mother, a father, um, an engineer, a doctor, a garbage man, uh, someone who occasionally gets pissed off all the time. Like our role might be exactly what we are. And that it doesn't really matter in that regard because we're all equal. As, as our spiritual path, it's recognizing what is really true of us that is playing that role. Like what is it that's in us that is the eternal that when that role is done, just like if you're an actor in a play, you quit acting and you move on to your next role. So to answer that question, essentially that is what it means to be a devoted Kriya Yogi. Um, many people think that it, it means you're going to show up to a retreat like this and there's going to be someone up here sitting with long hair and robes and you're going to say, oh, I'm so devoted to you. You, know, you are my master, my guru, my teacher, these sorts of things. And that's understandable because the history and the culture from which this came from had that kind of sense about it. Um, I remember when people, usually from India, would come to meet uh, Mr. Davis. He'd be sitting up here and after a talk, they would actually get down on the floor and bow to him and, and do these sorts of things. And he'd always say, get up. He's like, we don't, we're, we're not doing that here. And it wasn't because he was wanting to be disrespectful to what how they wanted to show their devotion. It's just that the way we are in this world, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be that obviously outward. Mr. Davis knew that I was committed to this path. Not because of anything that I did outwardly, but because he knew that what I was doing was the inner work. You see, I, I, I never called him Guruji. Never, ever called him Guruji. And it always, I never quite understood um, why people did because I read his book that said, don't call me Guruji. <laughs> I read his book that said, don't dress up in white and um, don't dramatize your, your, your spiritual path. And I thought, okay, that's what he's saying. So I'm not going to do that. He also said, cut your hair and don't get tattoos. But <laughs> yeah, we all we all uh, we all pick and choose what we're going to uh, 
<laughs> to, to respond to with people. But anyway, the, the point I'm trying to get at here is that you are devoted to this path when you are doing the internal work that is required to wake up. And it very well may be that for some people, having that outward devotion helps them stay focused. So I get that. And I know Roy got that too, because that's why he didn't make a big deal of it when people did what they did. Um, and I remember I, I was actually going through some old emails. I saw in my email box I had a specific folder for Roy. And, um, you know, since he's not around anymore, I thought, at least physically, I thought, well, I want to see what kind of conversations we had. And I'd actually asked him one time. I said, you know, you say, don't call me Guruji, don't do all these sorts of things. But yet I see many of the people that you interact with, and some of them very sincere and dedicated students of yours, doing that. You know, why is that? And um, he said, uh, many people, it helps them stay focused on the path by expressing that kind of devotion or participating in, in a, a religious ritual or, or something of that nature. It, it helps them stay focused on what is important to them. So that was his way of saying, quit being judgmental, Ryan, <laughs> that we all need to be focused in the way that we can be. But it, it comes down to really the inner aspect of it. If that is part of your inner devotion, if that is part of your what it means for you to stay attentive and focused, then it's just fine. But it, it's, it's the inner thing that matters. Because like Roy, I myself have seen too many people that show up with their beads and dressed how they are, because they want to be seen that way. But then you hear them talking, you know, because I'm an eavesdropper, I'm a nosy person. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I listen to what's going on, even though it doesn't really look like I am sometimes. And, um, yeah, <laughs> and you hear people talking and you're thinking, wait a minute, based on what they've just done and said, that doesn't really link up with, it, it just doesn't make sense. So, um, it's got to it's got to come from in here. So that's what I would say would be what does it mean to be a devoted kriya yogi? You know, are you doing what you know is appropriate and are you giving are you being honest with yourself and others about what is what is really truly important for you? Um, if you are doing that, that's all you need to do. And then you're going to go through your life you're going to meditate as best you can. You may or may not have miraculous cosmic consciousness experiences. That doesn't matter because you will have gone through your life. You will have done your duty. You will have played your role. And then if you haven't completely woken up to the infinite in this mortal human body, when the body falls away, you're going to laugh at yourself. And you're going to say, oh, okay. But it's all about continuing, staying true to the course. Uh, a few of you are going to be here next week as well. And um, that'll be interesting because you're going to hear me say a lot of the same things over again. And I, I remember hearing many, many people who would come to these retreats. Uh, I'd see them a few years. And remember, I was coming two to three, sometimes four times a year. And um, they would say, you know, I don't really know if I should keep coming here. And I would be listening over on the side. And uh, I hear someone say, well, why not? Because a, a new person would show up. The people who'd been there a few times would say to the new person, I don't know if I should keep coming here. The new person would say, well, why not? I'd say, well, you know, Roy just says the same thing over and over again. 
tells the same stories, um, same jokes, um, and and I recognized that in a way they were sort of missing the point. Every time I was where you are, sitting in these chairs, I would hear the same joke, and I would laugh. <laughs> because the point of it wasn't, am I being entertained with a new TV show? The point of it was, uh, in this environment, we are sort of bathed in an experience. And when I would listen to Roy talk, after the first few years, I heard what he said. I was doing my best to apply what he said. And then it became from listening to his actual words to simply sitting there, being as fully present as possible, participating with him in this experience. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? So it wasn't about any more information I needed. Everything you need is in this book. Everything you need is in this book. Everything you need... Um, can fit. Let's see, this is a 144-page book. I'm going to say, and I've actually been <laughs> contemplating writing this book, just the very bare-bones basics, what do you need to know? I think we could fit it in 50 pages, maybe 20 pages. If you simply were able to look at that and apply it consistently without worrying about being entertained or stimulated in any way, you would perfectly and easily wake up. So to come to retreats like this, to hear the same thing over and over again, to listen to Roy's talks, Roy doesn't have a whole lot of talks on YouTube, okay? Um, he also doesn't have a whole lot of talks available for recordings compared to, say, Alan Watts or Krishnamurti or all these other people who seem to talk a lot more. But I listen to those same talks over and over and over and over again. In the morning when I go out on that stand-up paddleboard, I have a... Uh, a phone that I can attach a speaker to the back to. What do I do? I pop in one of those talks that I've heard probably a thousand times and I listen to it again. And if I've heard it and I don't really care about the information anymore, all I do is pay attention to how how the message is being expressed, sort of the, the quality of the experience. And what that's going to do is it's going to lift you above, help you transcend these ordinary states of consciousness because then you're going to be perfectly present. So. You are learning these things, which are obvious. What's in this book is the same stuff that's in the Bhagavad Gita. It's the same stuff that's in Vasista Yoga. It's the same stuff that's in uh, the Ashtavakra Gita. It's the same stuff that's in books that I've written. There's nothing new here. Uh, they're just different ways to kind of keep you engaged in the process. But there must come a time when you can read this same paragraph over and over and over again and it's just as fresh and new as when you first read it. That is, in a way, a, a way that you can interpret how uh, Yogananda would say that being living this life as a yogi, living this life in this experience, it's ever new joy, ever new bliss. It doesn't mean that you're acting like a person who's bipolar and they're in their manic phase. It means that the experience, every time I see you, it's like I'm seeing you for the first time, Right? Every time, every time I'm doing the same thing, it's like I'm doing it for the first time. Then you are fully present in what you have done. You have gone beyond the dualities of that, the solar part of your nature and the lunar part of your nature, just like we discussed when we went over the uh, text last night. 
and then you experience timelessness because you are functioning from this core, which is beyond duality, which is beyond judgment, you know timelessness. You know presence. And that's very different than how most normal human consciousness functions in this world. To everyone else, you should still look the same. But internally, you're very different. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.